Well, hello there. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being a paid subscriber. And this is my thank you to you. It's going to be potentially an imperfect thank you <laughs> in that um, the phone could ring, the dog could bark, and you and I are going to just carry on. <laughs> We're going to roll with it because <laughs> because that's life and that's what I have time for. <laughs> So I'm going, I was just rereading this and I think it's, um, oh, it's such an important conversation and I hope to re-record Kim Wallace again because um, hers was a little bit difficult to hear some parts of and uh, needed a bit of interpreting. But I wrote this about her after having um, idolized her since I was, since I could read, <laughs> since I was six and met her as um, a 50-year-old, 52-year-old, <laughs> and um, read everything and listened to everything I could get um, my hands on about her um, and her resilience and her beauty and her ability to shine through past trauma and current um, physical pain and limitations and to um, care for and be the voice for her aging stallion Gideon. Oh, it was just... It was mind blowing. It was it was so wonderful to meet them, and I was so lucky. I booked an appointment with Kim during COVID, near the tail end of it, when things were starting to open up, <laughs> but it was still new. And um, I asked for directions, and she said, "What? I thought this was online." And I said, "What?" I planned my whole road trip around you being the grand finale as I come back from Florida and make my way home on an eight-week epic journey. And I've, I've been kind of waiting to, until you could see me before I go home. And she said, well, I, I guess we can do that if we can do it safely outside. She said, I'm an elder and I've, um, you know, I live with elders and our immune systems aren't terribly robust I'd like to be really careful so we were and I was the first person she met as a client again after the whole lockdown thing and um and uh had a whole other could be a whole other conversation just to talk about that experience of meeting her and Gideon at that point in my life um and um, I needed to know about resilience and what was possible. Um, and so I wrote about it and I interviewed about it and I talked about it because I needed it. <laughs> and in rereading um, this blog post, it's interesting to me that I'm writing about Kim Wallness, but I first start telling you about my story and... <laughs> And so I guess that's what these are. It's kind of an excuse to be known and to tell my story and then look at how they intersect with the lives of, whether it's in this case, Kim Walness or um, any of my interviewees. Um, so that's how Kim Walness and I go back. I've been watching her on the television since I was six. I watched her retirement ceremony when I was 18, my very first time at um, the Rolex Kentucky three-day event with my mom, which was a birthday present. And I got to watch her do an amazing display of athleticism and prowess with the Grey Goose. <laughs> 
Um, they are making a documentary about her and you, you really need to see it. I know it's just going to be amazing. I wanted to be able to do it myself, but I can't do all the things. <laughs> Some things I don't do well at all. <laughs> um, and I'll leave that to better people. But boy, I can have a conversation. And I had a good one with her. You'll have to listen to that podcast. And if you find it sketchy, let me know because it sounds a bit odd. And I'll, I'll uh, ring her up. We'll do it again. So I'm going to carry on now and um, and just indulge me in this reading. And um, thank you for being a paid subscriber. So here we, we are. We were talking about the world being on fire. And this was just, like I said, post-COVID. And this post comes with a trigger warning. If you watch the no news, you will know the world is on fire. While that may be true, there is also another important truth right on the heels of this one. It has always been this way. Truly, ask an elder. At a time when we are bombarded by images of war in the Ukraine, stories of climate catastrophes, and growing through our own personal struggles and losses, it can seem overwhelming. You may wonder how it got to be this way, and if there is any hope in this uncertain time. You may even long for the good old days, and I'm holding up my finger quotes here, and something you perceive as simpler times. Yes. The world is on fire. And it has always been this way. Turns out, the certainty you are looking for, my dears, is just a myth. And yes, sometimes life is a full-blown shit show. So how do we cope? How do we find hope? I like to turn to our, our elders. What our elders show us is that we can find joy again. Hearing stories of what they have survived has never failed to alter my perspective. Recently, I got to share stories with my friend and mentor, Kim Wallness, about her ancestors and what it took for her to find joy after the hardest tests of her life. Together, we looked for the commonalities. Stories of other people surviving and thriving through heartache, pain, and challenge help provide perspective and hope to others stuck in the trenches of grief or enveloped by the darkness of shame. They show us there is a way out. A way to a lighter, sunnier life, even after trauma. Here's one of my ancestral stories that helped me. When I moved into our unwinterized cottage in the woods, after the loss of our dream farm to bankruptcy. It was a memory of my grandmother's story that snapped me out of it when I was prone to feeling sorry for myself. My youngest son, Max, and I move into the cottage a week before the official move to get him settled into his new school. It was mid-April, and there was still snow so deep it blocked the front door, and we had to chop a hole through the lake ice to bring water in for cooking and bathing. I tried to make that a fun thing for my 10-year-old Max to do with an axe. <laughs> One night, after putting Max to sleep, I was alone in the kitchen, crying while heating lake water on the stove for my makeshift bath and feeling desperately morose over my losses. As I was waiting on the final pot of steaming hot water, 
which I was about to pour into the partially filled tub in our little cottage bathroom, I had a vision or a memory, not one of my own, but one of my gritty ancestors. And it changed everything. My grandmother Isabel's life would break your heart ten times before Tuesday. She found herself widowed just before the polio pandemic, with four children under 14 years old, living on a hard scrabble farm whose well was not productive enough to supply the family with enough water for regular bathing and cooking. Shortly after losing her husband, she lost her nine-year-old son Lloyd to polio, then her beloved boarder Jimmy to a hit and run. In this memory or vision, I was in my grandmother Isabel's skin sometime after all these debacles. The kids were all in bed and I was stepping carefully, quietly out of a glorified bucket. The galvanized wash tub they used for laundry that the family brought into the living room and filled pail by pail on bath night. As I, we, stepped gingerly over the edge of her tub, toes seeking safe purchase on the wet, worn, wooden floor beneath our tiny, tired feet, I compared our realities. When my long legs stepped over the edge of my tub, in the same movement as Isabel's, my foot would be met with a soft bath mat. I would rub, wrap, a fluffy towel around myself. I would be emerging from an actual tub in an actual bathroom whose cedar-lined walls gave off a soothingly familiar scent. There was no fluffy bath mat for Isabel to step on, no cozy bath towel to wrap herself in, and no electricity for lights. Isabel heated the water on a wood stove that night, probably burning coal because they didn't have wood. The light she bathed by was from a smoky lantern. It was a reminder that while I had seemingly, air quotes, lost it all, I still had more than she had at the hardest time in her life. I sucked it up. From that day on, I positioned us as, air quotes, lucky pioneers to my boys. I would tell them with a sense of adventure, we are living just like lucky pioneers out here in the wilderness. Lucky because we have electricity. They lived in the wilderness without the benefit of electricity. And I would leave them to hopefully marvel at all the things we would lose or have to do differently without the magic of electricity. I repeated the stories of hardship I had grown up hearing of my father's life, of the sparseness of his Christmas days, and the uninsulated attic he slept in with his brother Art. I don't know how much it helped my children to hear these stories, but it helped me. Later, when we lost the cottage, too, and moved into a tiny cooperative housing unit, when I was stepping out of the moldy old shower stall for the first time and feeling sorry for myself again, boom, there she was. It was as if I was inhabiting Isabel's body for a moment. I was Isabel, stepping out of the wash tub and into her reality, a much starker reality than my own. I rallied again. 
God love our less fortunate grandmothers and their stories of hardship. In my experience, if the rug has been pulled out from under your personal life through loss, illness, or tragedy, it's so often helpful and grounding to hear the stories of our elders. Knowing that someone else has lived through the darkness of our most horrific imaginings to find the light and sparkle again with a sense of purpose can help us to buoy hope from the deep, dark depths of deep, dark depths of fear and uncertainty it's buried under. Today, I'll introduce you to someone whose story has given me hope through the uncertainty of rebuilding my life post-train wreck of bankruptcy, divorce, cancer, and loss. Her name is Kim Walness, a hero of mine from the world of three-day eventing in the 80s, whose inspiring story with her old horse, the Grey Goose, I just know you're going to love. I've been reading about Kim since I was 12. Recently, I spent a few hours with Kim and her stallion Gideon Goodhart in a life coaching session at the farm where they help others with connection, communication, trust, and resilience. Mine was the first in-person session since the onset of COVID two years previously, and I was honoured and excited to meet them both in person. Meeting Gideon was like meeting the ocean. I cried, just as I did in Charleston a few weeks earlier when I met the ocean, silently and without sadness or fear, just soaking in the importance of the moment and struck by vast, the vastness of the energy. Our session began a conversation about the reality of resilient living that grew beyond the bounds of our time together, and Kim agreed to speak to me on my podcast. The other day, I got to speak with her again for the interview, and of course, the 12-year-old me is, the 12-year-old in me is still jumping up and down, finding all the things we have in common. We both came from seemingly, air quotes, out of nowhere in the horse world and had horses who rose above the limitations of their DNA to perform gravity-defying acts of courage and fun in rigorous tests of partnership and trust in the exciting world of international three-day eventing. We were both so lucky to be sitting on the phenoms that we rode. We've both been under the tutelage of one of the world's most iconic horsemen, Jack LaGoff as well as other captains and colonels of that lost era, with all their military expectations of discipline and absolute obedience to our superiors. We both have stories of defying Jack's direct orders to do what we know was right for our horses. And we both have overcome a series of shitstorms and want to help others do the same. Although her early days could look from the outside like a fairy tale, Kim Walness knows tough times. Her life story is worth a Disney movie, if not its own Netflix series. Of course, if you've lived a Netflix series-worthy life, you'll know that's a mixed blessing. As Kim said, this resilience thing isn't all sunshine and buttercups. Kim's unlikely background and her intuitive approach with an ungainly, fearful horse and the odds they overcame together to succeed in the male-dominated world of Olympic-level 3D eventing with her two small children in tow is the stuff of legends. Kim was affectionately known as Mother Goose by our famous coach Jack LaGoff for being the only competitor at training camps and selection trials with children. In fact, more often than not, they were right there with her, right from their playpen days, 
to their teen years. She was also known for talking to her horse, something most of her teammates thought was pretty nuts. But Kim and the Grey Goose had an unusual start to their partnership. Their lives leading to the top of international equestrian sport did not at all resemble those of her peers, and neither did her way of communicating with the Grey. In the early days, when they found one another at a small when they found one another at a small farm in the Irish countryside, while Kim's husband was on a placement in Ireland, Kim and Grey both dealt with a lot of fear. Kim regularly found herself dusting herself off and walking back to the barn after yet another fearful bolting session. She understood early that to partner with him, she'd have to earn his trust, and that earning Gray's trust started with trusting herself. She communicated with the Gray Goose what her intentions were in picture thoughts, feelings, and words, and listened carefully for his responses. In this way, they were able to go from blindly bolting through panic to developing a love of flying together over obstacles, testing their relationship as they galloped across the country and up the levels of eventing back in North America. These are Kim's words. I don't know why, but it's always helped me to communicate with them if I use words and speak out loud. There's something about the process that makes it clearer. I talk to all the horses I meet in my clinics. Right away, I walk up to them and introduce myself and tell them that this is going to be different. When Kim and Gray made it to their final national team training camps with Jack LaGoff, he was initially determined to mold them into the same program and approach he used with such success with their teammates. In those days, you didn't argue with success. The U.S. team won everything there was to win under Jack's tutelage, and you didn't argue with Jack. In one session, after Kim suggested that his approach wouldn't work with the Grey, Jack asked to get on and show her how it was done. After an hour of frustration, he dismounted with both of them in a froth, handed over the reins, and conceded that what she was doing was working, and left Kim and Gray to their decidedly quirky practices. Just before going out of the start box on the cross-country phase, Legoff got into the habit of calling out to Kim. Turn on your tape recorder, mother goose! <laughs> and off she would go, talking out loud all around the course, telling Gray what lay ahead and how to prepare himself. Laugh all you like. It worked. And you can't argue with success, right? That someone like Kim existed with her propensity for talking out loud to the Grey Goose, with the absolute certainty he understood, shaped my own trajectory in sport, opening a whole other level of possibility when I aimed for connection with my horses. When I was 18, I watched Kim and the Goose playing in a grassy hillside field full of jumps. The jumps were set up for the afternoon set of riders at the Rolex Kentucky three-day event, and they were preparing for a special ceremony. It was 1988, and I was there with my mom to watch my coaches and heroes at that year's event. On that day, after a successful career that included bringing home two bronze medals at the 1982 World Championships in Lemulin, with a spinal injury, I might add, 
and years of consistent top 10 placings at every international event they entered, they were being honoured in an official retirement ceremony. Kim and the Grey Goose, looking for something legal they could jump on the championship course to show the world how happy and athletic the Grey still was, bounded over a jump backwards and delighted us all. I remember being gobsmacked. That day, we saluted a team that had reliably and steadily brought home medals for their country against the very best the world had to offer, and they were showing us what it felt like to play between them. I will never forget it. At that point, Kim's story seemed to be gilded in gold. Her daughter, Andy, had developed an uncanny ability with horses, and at 18 years old, she was planning to further her education in sports psychology and join Kim in a holistic coaching business. Together, they would spread the gentler, heart-centered, trust-based horsemanship they'd learned through working with the Grey Goose. The Grey, once a fearful and mistrustful horse, helped Kim and Andy understand that when Grey said no, or what's that? (laughs) Adding more pressure was never the answer. Kim and Andy never got to tell that beautiful story. Instead, Kim lived through every mother's worst nightmare when Andy went missing on a tubing trip gone horribly wrong. Although Kim knew instantly that her Andy was no longer here on this physical plane, it was four months of waiting for confirmation. Andy's body was found in the woods. She'd been murdered. The following is from Andy's story on Kim's website. July 4th, 1991. I woke up feeling like someone had kicked me in the stomach. That feeling of dread you get when you know something awful has happened. I could hardly breathe, and the feeling stayed with me the whole day until twilight, when it suddenly disappeared. I was living and teaching in Lewisburg, West Virginia at the time. The whole thing was quite the mystery to me until the police tracked me down the next day in the middle of a lesson, and I was informed by phone that Andy was missing. I had to hand the phone to my dear friend, Annie Wood, for my world had just shattered around me. I, who had handled quite a few disasters with dignity, who was certain of my ability to hold it together no matter what, immediately collapsed to the ground. All strength fled me, for in that moment I knew that Andy was dead. My brain desperately hoped that I was wrong, but my heart and soul knew beyond doubt. I heard awful noises, but it was a few moments before I realized that they were the whales being wrenched from the depths of my being. I've never before since felt agony like that. That was Kim Walms from Andy's story. I asked Kim how she found the strength to carry on, and how it is she sparkles again, after all she's been through. In the aftermath, there were years of what felt like living in a grey zone, but Kim is here to say that she held on and shared a story of what helped her in the darkest hours. And I quote her here. A friend of mine who had been through some very serious challenges told me, in the times that were the toughest, I would just 
look at the clock. And I would think, I made it through another second. I made it through another second. I made it through another second. And I held on to that in my own darkest times and after Andy's death. That was a tough one. I didn't want to be there. I was not interested in being on the planet anymore. We were so close. Our whole future was entwined. She was going to graduate from college in time in, in some types of sports therapy, and we were going to work together. The loss of her daughter was one in a string of dastardly life blows. Andy's death had come on the heels of divorce, and just as Kim was climbing out of the gray zone that followed those years, she was in a car accident that left her body a wreck, and Kim with a vivid near-death experience. In it, she recalls feeling soothed, calmed, and bathed in a white light full of love, and also full of Andy's presence. But to her outrage and horror, she was denied entry to this place she wanted so badly to join Andy in. Apparently, her life's work was not over. Well, at the time, Kim was reluctant to be coaxed back to life to pursue her yet-to-be-defined path of purpose. Today, she is glad to be here. So many others who connect with Kim for life coaching and her one-of-a-kind riding clinics feel the same. The world is a better place with Kim in it. In the deep depression that followed the car crash, Kim leaned on her horses for support. The Grey Goose once carried her broken body around a world championship course and then helped, then he helped to gently carry her through the recovery and teach his successor, Gideon, to do the same. We talked on the podcast about that legendary ride, the day the Grey Goose carried Kim around the second half of the world championships in Lemulin, when two transverse fractures in her freshly healed back came loose mid-course. She tells about landing from a jump with the knowledge that from there on, she'd be completely unable to help the Grey balance and prepare himself for the jumps that lay ahead as he tried through the remainder of this championship course. As he tried, <laughs> that's why this is free, as he tried through the remainder of this championship level endurance test. But seriously, can you imagine that? These championship courses from the 80s were some gnarly tests of endurance. The horses generally required our help towards the end of the courses as they tired. Kim did the best she could to stay out of his way, clinging to his mane, her left leg useless, and show him with her eyes where she wanted him to go next. Of course, she was also talking to him all the way, telling him what was coming, just like she always did around the courses. It all happened so fast, and at one point she thought, I don't know how we are going to get this done, but we're just going to keep going. We're just going to do it. And they did, finishing two seconds over the time for two, for two penalties, which cost her the individual gold trading it for individual bronze and clinching the team bronze for her teammates. An amazing story. Kim's story's been known in the equestrian community for some time now, and I've dipped into every interview and article I can find of hers online. Reading about her trajectory through sport and how she helps others now since the Grey Goose passed on his legacy to her stallion Gideon Goodhart gave me hope. Meeting her in Gideon was grounding and balancing as I face the challenges of redefining my own life and learn to trust myself 
and what may or may not come next. It was the beginning of something bigger at a time when I needed it. I'm now attending online gatherings that Kim co-hosts with Tangle with Horses founder Andrea Datz and another, and another like-minded horsewoman, Diane Barrett. Together, they help others develop the necessary ingredients for the trust and connection they're looking for within themselves and with their horses. I keep saying Kim's life needs to be a film, if not a Netflix series, and there is a movement underway to do that. You can view a short teaser trailer, and the trailer here, I've got a link for it in this. While the initial, initial stages of a fundraiser were stymied by COVID and other challenges, I'm happy to report that fresh energy has been poured into it with some fresh blood. Tabby, a student of Kim's, who's was so helped by Kim's life coaching and moved by her story, has vowed to take up the reins. But she needs our continued help and support to see this through. Keep an eye on Kim's Facebook page to find out more and contact kimwallnessdocumentary at gmail.com to find out how you can help. And if you want to geek out with me as I share stories of resilience with my childhood hero, look for my podcast episode with Kim and Gideon Goodhart at themagicofhorsecraft.com. <laughs> Kim has offered to do a follow-up interview in the future to answer any questions you may have, and you can let me know here. In the meantime, chin up, dear hearts. Connect with an elder and share stories. Watch the clock one second at a time, if that's what it takes. But you too will get through this. And as Kim's story shows us, you just never know what good lies ahead when you embrace a life of purpose and connection. Take a chance. <laughs>